Welcome to Pancakes on Sunday, fams. Like pancakes, we have many different flavors that we like to bring to the table each week. We talk about sports and mental health and women's awareness, interviewing you know, our friends and, and families and games and entertainment and so much more. I, uh, Chelsea, am joined by Joe, Ryan, and Corey. Hey, what's up? Um, <coughs> we have a... <laughs> and we have a great show for you today. We're going to be doing uh, Through the Looking Glass of a Therapist. Episode four. I think so. Wow. 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 That's intense. I didn't realize we had recorded that many already. It can feel exhausting. I'm not going to lie. Talking about this stuff in addition to doing work that I do. I really commend people who consistently like write about this stuff or teach this stuff it's, but it keeps you studying it does it keeps your yeah true your toes yeah and it gives me a lot of reflection and that i can help my clients it's really cool like some of the realizations i come through as i work through some of this stuff as a therapist i'm like wow that would be really good for that client to talk about and so, thanks, boys, for supporting me and navigating another Through the Looking Glass. Um, I think mental health awareness is incredibly important, and it's something I value, of course. So, I hope by raising awareness about some of the topics we discuss, we can continue to reduce the stigma of people who suffer from mental illnesses or addiction and reaching out for the help that they need. <clears throat> mental illness isn't anything anyone should be ashamed of. We all have shit and all of our thresholds to deal with said shit vary depending on a lot of things. So therapy, medication management, uh, support groups, case management, uh, psychiatric services, all meaningful ways of getting help. So don't wait to ask for it. I encourage you to get help um, as soon as you can. So this podcast, um, like I said before we started the show, I feel like putting it together, I felt a little scatterbrained and all over the place. I tried to organize organize it as best as I could. Um, so I think the idea for this one was narcissist well, I wanted versus to... or something, but then there was mm -hmm. talks about going into like multiple personalities and everything else, so I think yeah. you just, just kind of combined them. Yeah, so... I ultimately was going to do narcissistic personality disorder because somebody wanted to understand the effects that <clears throat> having some sort of relationship with somebody with narcissistic personality disorder, how that impacts their victim. And while that is a can be a meaningful and and, and a meaningful show, I decided to incorporate it in the in personality disorders in general, and I'm going to get into that in the, in later, um, because I am actually a victim of somebody who dated, or who dated somebody who had a personality disorder. I believe had a personality disorder. I don't know. They were never diagnosed when I was with them, so it doesn't. You know, I can't. But being in the field that I am in, I'm I'm like 98% sure. So, um, I'm going to actually turn my for my settings. My phone keeps going black. I meant to do that earlier. All right. So um, we're going to dive into understanding some of the differences that exist between mental illness, between mental illnesses such as anxiety and depression and personality disorders. So 
I tried to make it as basic without going into too much because I could be here. We could be here all day. <laughs> so mm. I really just basic put anxiety and depression sort of on one, under one umbrella and then personality disorders under another. And why, while both of them um, are a part of the Diagnostic Statistics Manual, their manual, their manifestations are quite different. And I hope that becomes clearer as we explore this together. Um, I'm not including any substance use or addiction-related issues um, in this podcast for, for time purposes. Um, I know someone had requested that a podcast be about addiction and mental illness, and eventually we can tie that in somewhere along the lines, but not today. Um, that's another flavor for another day. Mm. <laughs> um, flavor of addiction. Flavors. Uh, so any, uh, I want to ask you boys first before I dive in, you know, do you have any questions so far or before I dive in anything that you thought about that I might talk about, you know, just to kind of get the wheels spinning as far as what people might be curious about. Um, what is a narcissist? Okay. I'm not going to straight answer that right now, but I will throughout. We can talk about that. Yeah, I, I just, that's where I'm, yeah. Okay. Yep. So narcissistic people or narcissistic personality disorder or somebody who might be referred to as a narcissist, you guys are interested in understanding what that looks like. Or is, I mean, does, does bipolar fall into this too? Or is that something, is that a difference so bipolar disorder, there are bipolar 1 and bipolar 2. There are two different uh, types. That is mental illness. So when I say anxiety and depression, bipolar disorder is on that spectrum. I'd also like to point out that there's comorbidities, right? I've mentioned that before in previous podcasts, where personality disorders and mental illness don't always have to exist alone. So somebody can be diagnosed with bipolar disorder and a personality disorder, they can be very dysfunctioning for them, dysfunctional for them. So a lot of the time, um, I, like I said, I wasn't going to pull in substance abuse a couple minutes ago, but comorbidity for that sake. So substance use disorders don't usually exist alone either. They usually come, there's usually some underlying, you know, an anxiety disorder or depression in which that substance just manifested as well as means to cope and it turned into a abuse right mm -hmm. and so bipolar is part of that mental illness umbrella as well um, <clears throat> but keep in mind that they often these these mental illnesses often don't and personality disorders often don't exist alone okay, okay. um if you guys have any other questions throughout the podcast you can for sure ask them but maybe wait towards the end so that i can keep my brain straight or as straight as my brain is going to stay <laughs> I'll uh, raise my hand and you can stop where you see fit. Okay, that's fair. I think I have a side question real quick. Okay. I feel, you kind of mentioned it a second ago, um, sometimes I feel some of these terms are used against people, almost like buzzwords type things, and you mentioned how like they have these stigmas. Why do you think that is? Like, So why mental illness has a stigma? I guess you could consider that as a whole, but like even just talking about narcissists, like I feel there's a lot of people that are called narcissists mm -hmm. just to be called narcissistic mm -hmm. for like a characteristic they do. Because I think exhibiting. the only thing that ever goes public and that people see is the bad. 
people only see the bad, like, oh, he's narcissistic, whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, <clears throat> the bad is what comes to light, and that's what people see, mm -hmm. and that's when they just put the name to the bad thing. Mm -hmm. I mean... Yeah. I think it's a good point. So, because you have a narcissistic personality disorder, there's a negative connotation to it. Yeah. And I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah. It's not... The thing is, is, it's not a bad thing to be diagnosed with a mental illness such a, and or a personality disorder. What's bad is if you don't do anything about it and you continue to hurt the people around you and yeah. yourself. Right. That's why I think that there's a stigma. The buzzword as far as, you know, that person's a narcissist doesn't necessarily mean that they have narcissistic personality disorder. That, made the, that might just mean that the person's a little extra cocky and it made somebody feel some type of way. So they use mm -hmm. that to sort of like get an upper hand in a way. Mm -hmm. um, but personality disorders are very debilitating. So uh, it's not just some cocky attitude. It goes right. way deeper than that. It's a way. It's somebody's ability, how they view the world, and in in which they think, like how their ability to function in the world, is that personality, and I think that'll make more sense as we go along. Um, but the stigma around mental illness. I mean, I think that mental illness is people feel that they're sick. Well, I'm I'm not a sick person. I just need a little bit of support. Well, th just because you're diagnosed with a mental illness doesn't make you a sick person. That just means that, you know, like I had mentioned before, the whole uh, bureaucracy of mental health. You have to diagnose somebody to be able to get reimbursed unless they're paying out of pocket. So even if I were to walk into a facility and say, I need a little bit of support, my therapist is going to diagnose me with something because she has to to get reimbursed, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> and... Often, like, there's, there's, in the DSM, there are debilitating, like, very debilitating diagnoses. Post-traumatic stress disorder, bipolar disorder, the different personality disorders, major depressive, generalized anxiety, and they're all on a spectrum, right? So I'm looking at, like, a severe type of mental illness. There's also, like, a trauma stress-related diagnosis called adjustment disorder. Adjustment disorder is really something happened in my life and I'm having a really hard time figuring out how to navigate that. So they're all on a spectrum. So um, when I say mental illness too, keep that in the back of your back pocket that it doesn't have to be debilitating. It doesn't have to be so severe in which you need medication or um, you need inpatient or you're consistently suicidal or something to that effect. It could be as little as something, you know, needing a little bit of support. So I don't know if that really answered your question, but yeah, it did. that's part of it. All right. So, uh, the American Psychiatric Association defines mental illnesses as quote, health conditions involving changes in emotion, thinking or behavior or a combination of them. Mental illnesses can be associated with distress and or problems in functioning in social, work, or family activities, unquote. On the contrary, mental health, quote, involves the effective function in daily activities that may result in product, ac product activities, such as working, education, caring for the self and others, healthy relationships, ability to adapt and cope with adversity, 
It is the foundation for emotions, thinking, communication, learning, resilience, hope, and self-esteem, unquote. It contributes to our growth in relationship, our personal, our growth in relationships, our personal lives, and our emotional development and ability to function as a member of society. The American Psychiatric Association defines personality disorders as, quote, a way of thinking, feeling, and behaving that makes a person different from other people. An individual's personality is influenced by experiences environments such as their surroundings and life situations, and inherited characteristics. It generally stays the same over time. To be classified as a personality disorder, one's way of thinking, feeling, and behaving deviates from the expectations of the culture, causes distress or problems in functioning, and lasts over time. The pattern of experience and behavior usually begins by late adolescence or early adulthood and causes distress or problems in functioning. Personality disorders are long-term patterns of behavior and inner experiences that significantly from what is expected and may affect at least two of the following areas. One, their way of thinking about their self and others. Two, their way of responding emotionally. Three, their way of relating to other people, and four, their way of controlling one's behavior. So before I move on to my next point, does do you guys see the differences in the definitions I read between mental illness and personality disorders? Yeah. There are ultimately uh, overlap too, but there are some differences. And as I sort of explain this and tease this apart a little bit, I, like I always say, I hope it makes a little bit more sense. But so there's different kinds of trauma that we endure. And I also want what I will also want you to keep in your back pocket is some of the stuff we've already talked about in previous podcasts. We've talked about those our, our serial killers, right, who have severe mental illness. Those people have some of them have. Um, you know, the personality disorders that we are talking about on such an extreme level that they have an inability to function. Um, But there's different kinds of traumas. So there are big traumas and little traumas. So um, there's the bigger traumatic experiences that we can endure. So examples could be like the loss of a loved one, uh, a car accident, a house fire, a natural disaster, stuff like that, like the big traumas that anybody can experience. And then and then there are the other little things that someone can endure. And when I say little, I don't mean minimal, minimal. I don't mean smaller than. I just mean in a sense that um uh like more personal almost. Yeah. Yeah, like it only affects you versus it could potentially affect everybody. Sure, right, yeah. Like a relationship, right? So yeah. my relationship with you right. um, is personal and how you how we interact right. with that each other. Right, that would be one of those little traumas. Yes. Right. Um, so I want you to think back, you know, to the Jeffrey Dahmer case. He was a victim of significant and daily emotional and mental abuse from his parents. He was neglected by his parents. Uh, He was bullied and ostracized in school. He didn't really have a lot of social 
support. Um, his teachers even kind of ostracized him a little bit. He was abandoned by the one person that wasn't supposed to do that to him, his mother. Um, so those are like the little traumas I'm talking about. He is the only one that can personally experience that thing. Those things based on the relationship and interactions he had with the world. Um, so kind of a side note too. Honing in a little bit on a mother-child relationship. I think it's important to talk about that briefly because I think it plays a significant role in the development of a human. Like, a, you know, a child or a human. From the, ti from the time a child is in the womb's, uh, the mother's womb, uh, that child is connected to his mother or her mother. So there's a natural bond that forms when a baby is even born. Um, then the baby is born and it is the mother's sole responsibility excuse me, to make sure that baby stays alive. Uh, while yes, there are two caregivers often, um, well, I can't even say often, I don't know. There, that's kind of the standard, that there's usually, there should be two caregivers, um, mom and dad, uh, or mom and mom, or dad and dad, whatever. Then the baby is born, um, I'm sorry, I lost my place. So while there can be two parents, think primitively for the most part. So the mother gives birth, the mother produces the milk to feed the baby, the mother comforts the baby when they are upset. The baby only wants and solely wants the mother after it is born. Uh, so if the mother is not mentally stable, let's say with a personality disorder, then the baby's needs are often not being met. So this trauma starts early and accrues over this little one's lifespan, contributing to their brain development, their emotional development, and their ability to regulate their social development, uh, their personality development. They learn to survive in their environments, which will later trickle into other parts of their lives and how they function. Uh, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna pull from a diagnosis here, but I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this up first. Intergenerational trauma. I think I've mentioned that before a time or two. Mm -hmm. Uh, the level at which the next child feels the need to survive in their environments continues to be passed on until someone gets help and changes their behavior, their way of thinking, their belief system about the world, their ability to emotionally regulate and make healthier choices. So intergenerational trauma. If I have not worked on my shit, my trauma, the stuff that I need to process, Baby Beasley is going to endure trauma because of that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm going to bring, I think I'm going to do borderline personality disorder because borderline personality disorder is something I'm super familiar with. I actually have a couple of clients who are diagnosed with that. Um, so I'm going to read the criteria for it and then I'm going to come back to how these symptomologies can impact how they function in regards to passing it on to other people in their life and other, their children. So borderline personality disorder is a pervasive pattern of instability of interpersonal relationships, self-image, and effects, and marked impulsivity beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts as indicated by five or more of the following. Um, and there's nine criteria total. So the first one, frantic efforts to avoid real or imagine abandonment. 
a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships characterized by alternating between extremes of idealization and devaluation. Identity disturbance, markedly and persistently unstable self-image or sense of self. Would you guys prefer me to break the, each of these down a little bit, or do you understand what they're saying? Like, what they That's, are? That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, no worries then. Um, impulsivity in at least two areas that are potentially self-damaging. So, spending uh, monies, engaging, you know, in sex, promis promiscuous behavior, substance abuse, reckless driving, binge eating. Um... The next one is recurrent suicidal behavior, gestures, or threats, or self-mutilating behavior, so cutting. Mm -hmm. Affective instability due to a marked reactivity of mood, intense episodic dysphoria, irritability, or anxiety, usually lasting a few hours, and only rarely more than a few days, chronic feelings of emptiness, inappropriate intense anger or difficulty controlling anger, so frequent displays of anger, constant anger, recurrent physical fights. And the last one is transient, stress-related paranoid ideation or severe disassociative symptoms. So those disassociative symptoms are um, trauma response, right? Well, this, all of these are pretty trauma response. So... Uh, Imagine living with a parent who had borderline personality disorder. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of put this out on on out on the table for you guys to answer. How do you think you would be impacted living with a parent who had personality disorder, borderline personality? Yeah, there's really a lot of trauma. You you as the victim would have a lot of trauma. I would think. I Why? Mean, okay. With these suicide tendencies, I mean, if right. you, you're growing up and you're your parents threatening to kill themselves. I mean, that's right. that. Mm -hmm. I think kind of self harm would be pretty yeah traumatic for, yeah. A, for a child. Right. Outbursts, rage. I mean, yeah. You so, get, as a younger kid, chaos. you get scared. Right. Yeah, you mm -hmm. don't. Mm -hmm. So then everything around you would feel chaotic. Yeah, and their uh, efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. So people with borderline often have abandonment issues. To put you know, a word on it. I don't often like to use the word issues, but lack of better terms here. So abandonment issues is, uh, you know, the inability to form relationships because one fears that they're going to be abandoned. How could that impact a child's belief system about the world? Yeah. You know, creating yeah. relationships for themselves. No well, trust they, in others. No trust in others. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um... And then, in addition to feeling this real or imagined abandonment, you have a pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships. So even though you have this abandonment, you're consistently getting into unhealthy relationships with others to All almost fill the void. Yeah. Yeah. Just like little gaps. Yeah. yeah. And the inconsistency and instability a child experiences because of that constantly having a different partner coming into the parent's life, right? Mm-hmm. Identity disturbance. So you don't feel comfortable in your own skin. You hate who you are. Imagine how that impacts the, the development of a child watching their mother. I'm going to use mother here just for, sa just for the sake of it. So mm -hmm. the mother of the child, right? We're not talking about dad. We're just going to talk to... It's more common in women anyways. 
borderline is. Um, or the alpha of the relationship. Yeah. For that child. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, yeah. So, uh, the mother, you know, let's say she has significant body image issues and she doesn't like how she looks and she, you know, um, and she, or if sometimes, you know, pregnancy adds, mm -hmm. adds a, a change to your body and you regret how your body feels and mm -hmm. take it out on the child because of it. You yes. maybe look this way. Exactly. It actually it's happens fault. a lot. Like, exactly. And that's scary because that exactly. happens a lot. Yeah. It does. Poor babies. Impulsivity. So you just go out, you spend money, you have sex, you eat a bunch of food, don't really have any self-control. What if a child's watching that? What is that going to do to them? They're going to think that's okay? Yeah, they're they're going to think that that's healthy and how they deal that's with normal. it? That's normal, yeah. Right. Uh, feelings of emptiness. So while that's an internal thing, those chronic feelings of emptiness, um, that alone doesn't, you know, that looks like something, right? If you feel alone and empty, yeah. that often looks like something on the outside. Uh, and paranoid ideation and severe, di severe disassociation. Uh, so kind of going back to those trust-related issues. Um, and paranoid ideation, like, that, it's kind of overlap with abandonment because it can be a feared, real or imagined, right? It depends. Uh, so a parent's belief system, a parent, the way that they behave and engage in the world around them, their child is learning that. Their child is then a victim of, you know, some form of abuse more than likely. What about, like, reclusing one from the outside world? Shutting everybody out, mm -hmm. almost like locking yourself in a room and just... You go to work and you come home and you don't you don't see anybody you don't do anything. Mm -hmm. Where does that fall under like social anxiety? Well, that can be social anxiety. So isolating behavior is often a symptom, can be a symptom of other disorders. So isolating behavior can be a major depressive disorder. And isolating behavior can be a different kind of personality disorder because there's a bunch in here. Um, that can also be the social anxiety that you just mentioned. Schizophrenia, you can isolate yourself because you're paranoid. So, yeah, it, I think it's important that, uh, to recognize that symptoms can overlap. And really, you kind of have to rule out what a person does and doesn't have, right? And so if a person isolates themselves, that's probably in, like, you know, half the book here. That alone doesn't doesn't say that somebody has a disorder. That's a symptom of something. Mm -hmm. and that could just be a behavior. Why are they isolating themselves? They could just like being alone. They could just like being alone. And so is that solitude or isolation or introverted? I guess right? depending on your where you're at mentally. Yes, right? exactly. The That's what matters. Exactly. Right. Right. The intention behind it. Why are you isolating yourself? Are you doing it because you like to be alone? Or are you doing it because you feel you deserve to be alone? Right? There's a difference in that. So I'm going to stop there for a second. Any other questions that anybody has right now? No. I think I'm okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, so I guess the next one is I'm going to give 
I'm going to walk into some other pieces, parts of what might decipher the difference between mental illness and personality disorders. Um, I focus mainly on the personality disorder piece before in breaking that down. Um, because while having a parent who has major depressive disorder is also impactful on the child, and it can absolutely impact them at just the, sa at just the same rate. Part of why I wanted to make this a podcast is I, I think a little bit more to put the, the awareness out there about personality disorders and remove the stigma that you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Personality disorders doesn't mean you're a terrible person at all. And people, I feel, think that. That's where that stigma comes in. And I'm, So I, I guess I'm trying to reduce that more than anything. Because people with depression or anxiety, that's becoming less and less where they're l more likely to ask for help. Mm -hmm. But somebody with a personality disorder, I had a client actually tell me they were scared to absolute death if that happened for them. And it's like, well, why? Because you're already living it. So why don't we navigate what that looks like for you so we can get you the help that you actually need? Mm -hmm. You know, because if you don't, if you, if you're misdiagnosed, you could be getting the wrong treatment the wrong medication and that's always the case for everything yeah mm -hmm. and it's like i mean you can have i'm just gonna the, the big one cancer you can have cancer and not be diagnosed you still have cancer just because you don't just miraculously get cancer the day you get diagnosed like mm -hmm. it's there like exactly. you, you have it exactly so you might as well now that you're aware you mm -hmm. can get the proper help that you need to function exactly exactly and I think, you know, the personality disorders can be significantly debilitating. But once you get your head wrapped around what that means for you, then your world can change. Uh, so someone with depression can take an antidepressant to help contribute to a higher threshold and release some of those positive chemicals than their, that their brain isn't naturally getting. So for some reason, some people who have like a major depressive disorder, maybe their brains have... 5 serotonin versus a neurotypical brain that are getting 10 serotonin um, when they do a good or fun activity. Well, if you're doing a fun activity, the expectation is you should feel good when you're done or doing that thing. Mm -hmm. But they just don't. And so their threshold is lower for, for uh, actually having that fun. So are antidepressants just like serotonin dumps? No. So there's different kinds. Okay. So, um... Because that's also ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Joe. You can take, uh, you know... They those, actually are using that now. They are. They are they actually, actually using... Are. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Pure yeah. form of MDMA and LSD to yes. treat people with PTSD and major and yeah. severe mental they're illness. Like, interesting. Yeah, it's becoming more regular. They're, they're finding out ways to mess with it. Mm -hmm. Microdosing. It's microdosing, yeah. and it's in a clinical setting. Yeah. They just don't send a prescription of MDMA home. I can't just go get a prescription home. for it. Yeah, right. Right. No, no, no. Right. Right. <laughs> Stop getting ideas. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think yeah. that, you know, that's a, this total conversation for another day because I think that that's going to... While I think it can be helpful and, you know, like medical marijuana can be helpful, you you can't put medical in front of a word and call it that. 
it's not marijuana should not be something necessarily that is prescribed to anybody with anxiety because anxiety is supposed to be something that people function with and if you're just kind of getting high all the time i mean cannabis use disorder is in the dsm no come on so and if you're abusing it right and people often who smoke marijuana can be abusive with that so uh you guys are funny joseph what? So, I'll go back to... For medical use. I got a bad back, okay? Yeah, I'm using it for pain. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. And I get that. Pain management, it can be significantly, you know, your your threshold for pain is lower because you have a bad back. I'm like Ryan over here. No bad back. I can break that back. Break. I can break that back. <laughs> I can break it in too. Watch it. No. Double up. Oh, oh. <laughs> You're not. Uh, so someone with depression, I'm going to repeat that just so I can um, go into my next thought and be, uh, I guess, flowy, a little bit more flowy. So someone with depression can take an antidepressant to help contribute to a higher threshold and the re- release, the potential release of more positive chemicals um, that their brain not, might not be getting. Uh, and so you had asked a question before Joe too. So there's different kinds of antidepressants and I'm just using antidepressant and anxiolytic, which helps treat anxiety can help reduce some of those because the anxiety, there might be too many positive chemicals or, so I'm just giving an Mm -hmm. example. Someone with a personality disorder can't just take a medication to raise or lower their thresholds. It's a genuine organic part of who they are a trauma response that has become almost ingrained in how they deal and function in life. It is their personality. That's how they were programmed. Yeah. So Exactly. Yes. So I'm going to give you a metaphor. Uh, Mental illness is like having a broken arm and having to cast and reset it to let it heal. A personality disorder is like losing an arm or being born without one and having to learn how to function without it. Okay? Okay. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you're Tin Man. Or you're what? Or you're born Tin Man. <laughs> you're born Tin Man? Yeah. What is that from? Yeah. Wizard of Oz. Uh, well, I know man. that. Right? Yes, I know that. Um, tin Man had two arms, though. True. <laughs> he did. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but he didn't have a brain? Heart. He didn't have a heart. He didn't yeah, have a heart. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. scarecrow didn't have the brain. Yeah. yeah. The scarecrow didn't have a brain. Yeah. yeah. Tin man didn't have a heart. Nope. So take that metaphor, kind of put it in your back pocket, um, and take it with a grain of salt, too, because it's not black and white here, right? And that kind of says black and white thinking. So, yeah. And... I'd also like to point out, I said this before, and I'm going to probably say it every time I get a chance to in these podcasts, is chemical imbalance Mm -hmm. is not an appropriate terminology when they're put together. Chemical, there is no such thing as a chemical imbalance. Um, We don't know what to compare a chemically imbalanced brain to because everyone's chemical makeup is different. So... uh, the neurotypical brain, there's no way to map what a neurotypical brain actually looks like because we're all different. We're all made up different. So when you say chemical imbalance or hear somebody say chemical imbalance, be like, don't say that. That's, that doesn't make sense. Okay. 
I'm Call different. Out. Yes, I'm different. <laughs> that song's on the I mean, I guess you could say less than the average person. Yes. Or more, depending on their mental illness. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, I like to use terms like biodiverse and no neurotypical, right? On, to on a side note with that, like, so, like, what things in the mental health field, or is this why there is so much gray in mental health also? Like, to kind of point out that there's really no baseline? Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, if you're looking... So... Society, societal expectations, mm -hmm. they're usually a baseline for that. But then you have the Western culture and the Eastern culture, which are two right. different. Right. And then, and then it, everything and in between. Saying. Right, right. So that's why it's important to be multiculturally competent when you are doing therapy. Uh -huh. So that somebody doesn't come to you and say, you know what? I dreamt of my dead dad last night. And um, I, I woke up and I'm pretty sure he was standing there. Are they hallucinating? Well, I don't know. Who are they? Where'd they come from? What's their culture like? Are they Hispanic? Because Hispanics do often see their dead relatives after they passed on. <laughs> so you have to be super culturally competent to look at all of those aspects. So, um... That's kind of interesting. Yeah. That, yeah that's that is interesting. super That's interesting. actually really interesting to think about that way, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to know. You have to know things that you didn't know you have to, you had to know, <laughs> um, and that's why I love doing some of the work I do. Kind of side note: I've been working some hardship immigration cases where I'm keeping. Um, I, I've worked with a lot of Hispanics mostly, um, and I've I've had a Jamaican client, uh, a lot of Mexicans. Doesn't really matter, but I'm. Gaining a lot more knowledge, and I'm, n I'm not judgmental towards anybody, really. You can tell me you killed somebody, and I still find a way to love you. <laughs> um, but these cases, I'm becoming a little bit more culturally competent in understanding their cultures, so I understand why they're seeking help. Um, so, yeah, another thing to keep in your back pocket. Uh, nature versus nurture. Um, it's not that. It's not versus, right? It's nature and nurture. So what do our genetics have the possibility of exposing? We all have a genetic predisposition to developing something. That could be medical issues. That could be mental illness. That could be substance use, addiction-related issues. It doesn't matter. Uh, do, does mental illness run in the family? What happens in our lives that contributes to the manifestation if that mental illness or addiction or personality disorder manifest? So it's not nature versus nurture. It's nature and nurture. Uh, personality disorders are, in my opinion, a significant product of our trauma and our environments. Uh, kind of backpedaling here a little bit, though. Think back to previous podcasts. Uh, one isn't born a serial killer or a psychopath or a sociopath. One isn't born with a personality disorder. These individuals are often products of their environment from years of abuse. They often navigate in what way they can survive so they don't fall victim anymore. One learns to adapt and survive with their abuser. And that often will leak into other areas of their lives, even in healthy relationships. And someone wanted to know the effects for someone who is in a relationship with someone who has narcissistic personality disorder. 
Um, and while I have described to you what can happen in extreme cases, so, you know, we talked the, the serial killer podcast and stuff, um, I think being in a relationship with anybody, uh, or while I have described to you what can happen in extreme cases, this is going to reflect on lighter end of things. Um, my personal story that I'll get to in a second, I I think being in a relationship with any pers- anybody with a personality disorder can contribute to some, some significant effects. So we're not just focusing necessarily how I went through the borderline personality disorder mom with the child. Um, we're not just focusing on the narcissistic personality disorder, but in general, how can being in a, how can being in a relationship with somebody with any personality disorder impact somebody? So look at it as more of like a whole, not separate from one another. Although there are different things that can happen for those people. Um, so like I said before, I can't say for certain that I was in a relationship with somebody with a personality disorder, but I, my belief is about 98% there, uh, based on my clinical experience. Um, so I'm going to say, I'm going to pull up the, the, um, what is this called? The diagnosis. <laughs> Jesus, the uh, narcissistic personality disorder. So this is a pervasive pattern of grandiosity and fantasy or behavior, need for admiration and lack of empathy, beginning by early adulthood and present in a variety of contexts as indicated by five or more of the following. So one has a grandiose sense of self-importance. So they often exaggerate their achievements and talents and expects to be recognized as superior without commensurate achievements. Is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love. Believes that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other special or high status people or institutions. Requires excessive admiration. Has a sense of entitlement, unreasonable expectations of especially favorable treatment or automatic compliance with his or her expectations. Is interpersonally exploitative, takes advantage of others to achieve his or her own needs. Lacks empathy, is unwilling to recognize or identify with the feelings and needs of others. Is often envious of others or believes that others are envious of him or her. Shows arrogant, haughty behaviors or attitudes. So I just read this, not insinuating that uh, the person that I'm talking about had narcissistic personality disorder, but they definitely had some nar- they definitely had some of these personality disorder tendencies. Can't say what those were though. Um, can't say what diet criteria those were though. But I would like to mention I was gaslit. I was a victim of gaslighting. So gaslighting is when somebody makes you question your own sanity. Um, So while I was this innocent person trying to love this person unconditionally and do all of everything for them, they would constantly say that I was cheating on them. And no matter what kind of interaction I had with somebody, I could just have like a conversation like I'm having with you guys. 
And I would be made to feel guilty about just having a conversation with males because of his jealousy. Okay? Hmm. And that would make me question, like, am I doing something wrong? Am I being flirty? Like, I don't think I am, but am I? God, I never want to go back to that. I was anxious all the fucking time. It was terrible. Um, I had some significant body image issues that I still have to this day. Um, (laughs) Joe... Cabbage, man. Cabbage. <laughs> um, significant body image issues, uh, like I said, that I still have to this day. Um, no matter how tiny I got, I always felt like I could still lose weight. Um, which often led me to fluctuating in weight. Like, I would uh, binge eat for a long time, consume lots of alcohol, and I would gain a bunch of weight. And then I would... Uh, go on a diet and lose all the weight and get really healthy and then back to the other way. So lots of back and forth. And finally, probably within the last, I would say, three years, two to three years, I've gotten um, better with that. And then I have baby Beasley in here who's making me feel like a, you know, an elephant in the room. (laughs) Um, But that's okay because he's going to be beautiful. Um, abandonment issues, so I often uh, had, uh, this led to having disconnected relationships with males. Um, it made me question my sexuality at certain points, uh, led me to having promiscuous hookups with people, which, I mean, part of this could be college, too, right? I was in college, and you, you do fun stuff, and you have a good time. But I was degraded a lot. I, I, The guys that I chose were not very kind. Like, it was like almost like an energy. <laughs> I'm like, I'm supposed to save these people. And they were just total douchebags. Um, boundary issues. I had no boundaries. I didn't know what boundaries were. I didn't care what boundaries were. As long as somebody showed me some type of affection, whatever that could have been. Even, even if it meant that I was going to get emotionally abused. Uh, low self-worth. Didn't care. Didn't really care about much of anything. Um, Significant drinking during college, which, you know, part of college, I think, can be a part of that. But I think this went beyond that. I was in a place where um, I was getting smashed, like smashed, smashed, um, making really stupid choices. I isolated myself from my family and friends. um, And, and yeah, that's, that's really... And even, you know, I can reflect in my relationship, my early relationship with you, babe. Mm -hmm. Um, I had some significant trust issues. You saw a lot of this stuff at the beginning of our relationship. Mm -hmm. Where uh, I didn't, I couldn't be all in. So. And I I went through the program to become a therapist, which helped me heal a lot. I can say I got my own therapy, which helped me heal a lot. Being in a relationship with somebody who also has been strong, I can carry a lot of bags. Like <laughs> <laughs> You've also been a victim of a lot of abuse yourself as a child, an adolescent, and adult from a lot of different people in your life, and I think that helped us both process. At, at least it did for me. Um, so. We don't have to go into this next piece, but I do want to say, you know, think about your guys' own personalities, right? What kind of personality characteristics are a part of who you are? 
And now try to imagine that who you are as a person goes against the grain of what society expects of you. And then you're asked to change that because it's not healthy, it's dysfunctional, and it's not for you, it's not good for you or the greater good. That's kind of like somebody with a personality disorder. And the level of awareness in which somebody wants to or needs to change is on that person. It you really can is. you can sit there all day and say, "Bro, you are treating people like shit. You are doing this. You are doing that." But the level of awareness that somebody has to have to be able to actually want to change that behavior and see how their life, how they are as people, are impacting others and themselves in negative ways. It was really cool. And when I say cool, this is the stigma. Kind of going back to the stigma. There was a client who called the mainline a couple weeks back. And, I, and I'm the one that returns those phone calls. And I asked him, you know, what, what can I do for you? What kind of therapy are you looking for? What's going on? Presenting issues, presenting concerns that you might have. And he said, well, I've been told that I have narcissistic tendencies. And I really want to know what that means for me. I don't, and, and that, I don't know, I would have loved to work with this guy. Um, but because I'm going on maternity leave, that's a lot you can. That's a lot to take on. Um, mm-hmm. That's going to take some significant work. Mm-hmm. Uh, people with personality disorders um, often are lifetime clients. I'm going to say that because um, they often need reminded why they need therapy. <laughs> It's like, you know, they might have a significant breakthrough and they're doing really good and they're on a really straight and narrow path. And then next thing you know, they, they're MIA for a couple of days and you haven't heard from them. Um, and they went on some sort of, you know. Well, that would also make sense, too, when you think about, as you explained through this entirety of the podcast, that somebody with a personality disorder has been programmed this way. And that program came from that environment which involved a lot of these little traumas, right? And potentially big traumas as well. Mm -hmm. So then imagine this person not showing up to a meeting and a little trauma happened. What do you think is probably going to happen? So like... Or any trauma for that matter. Right, any trauma. I mean, think of the programming as... It's not a game, but think of it as like a game where, you know, an update, you, you would do something and they try to better and you did an update. But then something happens, you need an update, and it breaks the game, and you're back to square one. But you need another update to get back, get back on track. So it's just yeah. constant. Mm-hmm. And that's how software is in computers. You constantly have to that's update why I really stuff. Do I, mean, feel, I, I really do feel for these people with personality disorders, mm-hmm. whether they're narcissistic, personality disorder, or bipolar, or anything, because that's really tough. Yeah, and mental illness, too. Every now and again, people... So, bipolar disorder, for example, one can have depression and manic episodes. So, their moods fluctuate pretty significantly from, you know, up and down and up and down. And a manic episode can overlap with some of those borderline tendencies, too. The spending and the having the promiscuous sex and stuff like that, so... And what did the... what did that when they reached out to you? What did they ask specifically? Living with somebody, with the narcissistic? Yeah. No, he said I. I've been told that I have narcissistic tendencies, and <coughs> I want to know. Oh, I was talking about the comment online uh, about to do the podcast. What What did they ask specifically? Oh, they wanted to know um, how it in how 
somebody was impacted who lived with somebody or was in a relationship with somebody who had narcissistic personality disorder or the effects of narcissism on other people. Right. Um, and that's, like I said, that could be a great podcast in and of itself, but I figured, you know, here we can talk about personality disorders in general and how right. how the, that can be um, a dysfunctioning environment. Yeah, because yeah, of course it's not only impactful to the person themselves that's going through it, but it's impactive, obviously, to the others around because it's how they are as a person. Mm -hmm. Is there one personality disorder that's more common than another? Great question. So, I'm going to answer this based on, without looking up any statistics, yes. Um, borderline personality disorder is a more common personality disorder. I can say narcissistic personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder, which is your psychopath, sociopath. Mm -hmm. Those are the three that come to my mind. However, there are other personality disorders so um, that I've had to work with before. What's your play on multiple personalities? Oh, DID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. man, I got to pull Chelsea in for this. Oh, so man. I work with Chelsea. I've heard a little bit of this. And so. she is... She, for some reason, when you become a clinician, there is a certain per, type of people that you work with. It just happens to draw that way. So for me, I have, so I said earlier that females are more likely to have borderline personality disorders. But I actually have a handful of clients who are male who are borderline. Very not common. And then uh, ADHD. And I don't know, is because my husband has I don't know. I have no mm -hmm. idea, but I have... Or you have ADHD. I do. <laughs> no I do. way. No. <laughs> Shut up, guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, we clearly know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Screw yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I have several male clients who have ADHD. So with Chelsea, she has, she's actually drawn to, um, or clients are drawn to her who have DID, which is uh, Dissociative Identity Disorder, which is better known as the Multi-Personality Disorder that you guys And that's extremely rare. That's it's extremely, extremely rare. Extremely rare. Um, and we have a guy, he is such a sweetheart. Um, so much trauma, though. So, so much trauma. And he has, he has a few personalities. DID, though. Specifically, and I'm you're asking ask. what I feel about it. Yeah, because like there is kind of like some scrutiny around it from things I've read in the past, where true multiple personality order doesn't actually exist, versus like it does exist. And then others, when I read into it, it almost seemed like it was a full-on coping mechanism, but you almost took on different personalities to deal with different situations in life. Yeah. And that's how you learn to The cope. long short of it is that. Yeah. Like, that's that's mm -hmm. wild to me. Yeah. There's so. not just one... There's not just one way you feel or that you do something to cope with something. You have different... And it is idolized in a lot of And it completely changes right, totally. the whole, like... The people who think they're a child. Like, they're two years old, and they actually sometimes they talk like they're two. Mm -hmm. Or they talk like they're young and they're yeah. a child, but yeah, then at the same time they can flip a flip of a switch. They're they're a full adult and they're yeah, having yeah. an intellectual conversation and everything else. And it's mm -hmm. like that's now, so far disassociated. When, yeah. when they do that, do they recognize that's happening? Are they aware that they are acting? Like and see, a child? this is where this starts to come into play. What I've read, yeah, some was like saying like. It would be almost like on purpose, but it was still like their way to cope. So is it intentional? Is it unintentional? Is it? 
Well, I'm not going to speak about it because I don't know much about it. Uh, maybe I'll pull Chelsea in one of these days and we can interview her about it a little bit more. What I am going to say is, yes, I do believe that it exists. Yes. I know, I think I so know too, yeah. somebody who has yeah. it. Um, and do I think it's a choice that somebody can turn on and turn off their personalities? Or that, that's too to be determined? Eh, it's that level of awareness. Yeah. How disassociated are they? And do they have a self-awareness? Right? Mm-hmm. And to what degree can they function? And mm-hmm. To what degree does that exist? Yeah, because I think that's important talking about that too. Because like the question you were asked with relationships, the best way... Of course, this isn't a perfect world. Right. right? But the best way a relationship would probably work with somebody with these personality disorders is like pure communication and that person obviously helping themselves. So if the partner is aware that their partner has this personality disorder, it's going to work a lot better, you know, and you're communicating back and Mm -hmm. forth, you know, this journey you're kind of now going through together. Now, of course, that partner would have to be willing to do that with that person. Mm -hmm. Mm. And you have to think, like somebody with DID... Can they function wholeheartedly and meaningfully in a relationship? Uh, I I don't know if somebody with DID could. But I was hitting more on that level with like, you know, like with the person. Or narcissist. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. And and I've even met myself speaking to the fact of narcissists. um, I I talk to a lot of people in my field and stuff, and I've actually met uh, a person that was... Uh, a true narcissist and like knew it and was really you know developed and pretty far along in their journey of you know being better and and getting better and stuff and that was crazy talking Mm -hmm. to that person like Mm -hmm. just how much it takes to realize like what you were actually doing and what you were causing and really try to turn it off and really start to a lot of it was what he stated to me was just processing the trauma that he had been through Mm -hmm. before that forced him to be this way yeah and if it's a part of who you are, if you're right. programmed a certain way, it is exhausting. To disconnect from that. Like, yeah. this that is would, all you do. This is it how is. you got your job. This is how you got your relationships. Right. This is how you got to be happy some days or, or deal with your anger or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so working towards, you know, the having a personality disorder, for example, working towards functioning, being a functioning person can be exhausting and i think that that's where another part of the stigma comes in well god damn i don't want to have to work towards that for the rest of my life well yeah but are you happy probably not mm-hmm. so you get to choose that for yourself it's the key to life you can, right you can Pursuit work you can work towards something and it can be exhausting on some days and you can also be functioning or you can be miserable and sad and just kind of live by the seat of your pants Um, And I mentioned earlier, too, you know, uh, something that I want to make sure I clarify. So while you can't just give somebody with a personality disorder a medication to treat their personality disorder, you can, medication, people with personality disorders can take medication to assist them in uh, living a healthier life. And that's that's really all I'm going to say about that. Um, I, I do have another question and a, and a hunch after going through this. Um, knowing these things that I know because you're a therapist and you're my wife and learned a lot of things. Talking about all this personality disorder and 
I, I feel like I've seen this a lot too and kind of heard from you a little bit that like while borderline personality disorder is a common um, personality disorder and mainly in women is this also why you see a lot of those women kind of seek out and tend to and always say that they're attracted to broken men because of like mm. abandonment issues and everything else because you like see that trait kind of running in circles so much like that that concept mm. of like I just want to fix him or I need to fix him and then they realize they have their own things going on is why you felt the need you know so, what I'm saying like this cycle it seems like you see that cycle a lot so somebody specifically speaking about borderline personality disorder so a woman who has borderline personality disorders doesn't necessarily seek out broken men right they seek out any relationship because right. it's validating Mm-hmm. And those people end up not being, might not end up being healthy themselves and abusive. Right. Because the person, the the person with the borderline personality disorder or borderline tendencies, um, potentially sought out that individual because of their abuse in the past. Yeah. So it's kind of like... Um, poison just likes poison? <laughs> yeah. Energy is drawn to energy. And, uh, you know, that's where really unhealthy relationships um, cultivate. Because um, I can say, you know, I, I've, I'm a pretty relatively healthy person. I think I've di- I, if I could have diagnosed myself with something in the past, it would have been like an anxiety or panic disorder. Um, and I was drawn to fixing broken men. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um Hence the relationship I talked about earlier. Uh, but there was a but point. Because a, a lot of women that I've heard talk about it too, it's like the ones that at least kind of understood, or at least from what they said, they understood why they were doing it. Is like they wanted to seek that sense of accomplishment to also make themselves feel good for what they were lacking in. Like validation by proxy. Yes, yes, exactly. Hmm. Um... <coughs> I don't know. I can say, you know, I when you ask me questions like that, I can only really reflect on my own personal relationship. I guess right. I guess anything is possible. Uh, I guess based off what you see as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that doesn't... So just seeing a relationship manifest, um, you know, I can only go off what the client tells me. Right. Oh, yeah, true. So, so it's only one-sided there. Yeah. Nine times out of ten unless you're seeing both. Right. Yeah. Come a marriage council. So, I mean, I work with couples and families. I, I do. Um, Can being diagnosed and dealing with a personality disorder lead to possible other mental illnesses or depression and anxiety? Like, I mean, I, f- I feel as if you're someone, so let's just we'll go with the narcissism. You're dealing with that and just... Having to completely change certain things of your life and or you have a bad day and you just want to go back and do something how you did before, mm-hmm. but you're trying to like <clears throat> you're trying to better yourself, but at the same time it's almost depressing because you you can't you're not you're always trying to go back mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's just that constant struggle of back and forth. I can see how that could lead to 
another Depr- disorder. Another disorder. Yeah. yeah, so what comes up for my brain right now, as you asked that question, I had mentioned adjustment disorder. So adjustment disorder also has um, sub uh, modifiers to it. So you can do adjustment disorder with depressed mood, anxiety, or uh, adjustment disorder with anxious distress, and so forth and so on. And so, yes, absolutely. Can you recognizing and becoming aware that I have a personality disorder and these are the changes I need to make and I'm having a really hard time navigating what that looks like? Absolutely, that can contribute to more symptoms of other mental illnesses. It doesn't necessarily mean you're diagnosed with something else. That just means, right, the comorbidity I talked about earlier can exist, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it makes, that you meet diagnosis for, for, I notice all the diagnosis in the book. It's like if you have five of the following or something like that. Right. That way, this way, you might not hit five. You might hit two or three, so you might be like... On the cusp, like, hey, you might Mm -hmm. need to watch. Yeah. And the personality disorders are pretty straightforward. It goes, you have to meet five of these to have a personality disorder, period. Depression is... Um, and I'm throwing this out here without actually looking in my DSM right now. So there's met, there's so major depressive disorder, for example, you can meet two to three two to three symptoms. You have mild major depressive. Four to five symptoms you have moderate, and then beyond that, more than that is severe. So that's more on a spectrum than the personality disorders. And the personality disorders, I feel we all have a tendency to have some of those characteristics, right? And so... Um, That's some... why you need like five or six because it's right. like... Sure, like you mentioned earlier, you could be a little cocky, a little overconfident, and kind of maybe a little bit of a douchebag, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're a narcissist. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or lacking empathy. You can lack empathy. That doesn't make you a terrible person to lack empathy. That just means you're dead inside. Well, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, you know, lacking empathy can really be somebody's survival mode. Th- I used to actually personally think I lacked empathy all the time. It wasn't until recently I started seeing a therapist that I realized that I didn't lack empathy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I used to think I did. I just had a different look on it as all it was. Yeah. yeah, and what it was supposed to be. Cool. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Sorry. I'm... Nobody asked you. Goddamn Siri. <laughs> yeah. Whew, that was good. Yeah. Side note, I want to do an episode on schizophrenia. Yeah, I would like that. That'd be interesting. Yeah. I always found it really interesting every time I looked it up. I've I've worked with some significant, with people who've had schizophrenia. Puff the magic dragon? (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I I did have one more question too, sorry. Okay. Um. You're a lady. I don't know if you told this on the mental health podcast yet, but you had a lady that you helped, and it was the mother that you ended up seeing, but you saw the daughter first. Mm-hmm. Was she borderline? Not at all. Not at all? No. She was having some significant anxiety-related issues because her husband was going to be deported. Oh, okay. And her daughter was starting to be act out behaviorally because she wasn't addressing her anxiety. I just think that story is so cool with how that happened. Yeah. So, maybe yeah. for another time, but... Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. thanks, ladies and gentlemen, and mm-hmm. everyone out there. Mm-hmm. Follow us on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Podcast... Po- <laughs> 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 Follow us on Instagram at Pancakes on Sunday Podcast. 
we post whenever we post an episode. Um, by the time this comes out, check out the D&D episode series. The fam tries D&D. <laughs> uh, I... This will kind of date it, but I was editing the the third episode, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it gets better after listening to the first two and then listening to the third, so. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was our first time, and it was a lot of fun, so we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Still mad about episode four, Joe. It's okay. I don't talk about it. It's okay. <laughs> but that's a little teaser, but you know, by that time, <laughs> the whole series will be out, so check that out, and check out our mm-hmm. other episodes of... Through the looking glass, of, through the looking glass of a therapist, man, I can't fucking talk. To <laughs> man, goddamn! Wet your whistle, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh gosh, yeah. So follow us on Instagram, uh, like, subscribe, rate, share, all that stuff. Comment on whatever podcast service you are listening to: Spotify, Apple, etc., etc., etc. You can DM us if you have any questions. From episodes that you hear, uh, Chelsea will share and, you know, we will answer your questions. If you want to see and have us talk about certain things, also let us know and we'll see what we can do. Uh, we have some other things in the works, but yeah, thanks for joining us and have a great day. Happy St. Patrick's Day! Bye! Bye. That really dates this episode, St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, well, yeah, whatever. It'll be okay. Get trash today. (laughs) Yeah, bye! Fuck it.